Support for Motley Fool Answers comes from TurboTax Live. New from TurboTax, now you can get a personal review of your tax return with a CPA or EA right on your screen. Talk live with a tax expert as often as you need for tax advice to help you file with confidence. Go to TurboTaxLive.com fool. Support for Motley Fool Answers also comes from ActiveCampaign. If you have a growing business and you want to acquire more customers, then you need ActiveCampaign. Their solution goes beyond marketing automation, getting the right type of message to the right person at the right time. For a free trial, go to ActiveCampaign.com fool. It's the third annual Luffy Awards! Cue the music, Rick! the best and maybe not so best in the world of personal finance and investing. Featuring Matt Argersinger, Aaron Bush, with the musical performances from Tim Hansen and the Falling Knives. And now, your hosts for the third annual Luffy Awards, it's Robert Brokamp and Allison Southwick. Some of you might think the name for the Luffy Awards comes from Fool Backwards with an IE stuck at the end, but that's not true. It's actually weirder than that. It's just more immature. Actually, it's some episode, in a previous episode, we talked about the Villages, which is a retirement community in Florida, known for all kinds of wonderful things, including that if you are into a swinging lifestyle, you put a loofah on your golf cart. And there you have it. <laughs> that is the source of the Luffys. Were you guys aware of the Villages? And No. Yeah. Yeah, oh, there we no, go. Tim knows. <laughs> <laughs> highest, highest rate of STDs in Florida, at least in terms of growth. Is that audited? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. I don't know. I should say I've been there a few times. I've only seen a couple of loofahs on the golf carts. I think most of the press they got was like in 2014. So a lot of people have been scared into hiding. Yeah, so living the dream in the villages is uh, somehow how we came to name our <laughs> awards show. So whatever. All right, so this year we decided to do things a little differently and try to get as much feedback from people who are not uh, bro and me into the show. So we received a lot of great suggestions from listeners about what categories we should award Luffy's in. Um, unfortunately, we can't do them all, but today we're going to crown a winner in cryptocurrencies. Kind of a winner, I guess. The grand loser. Grand loser. <laughs> Foolish stock of the year. And and, um, and much, much more. Let's just get started, shall we? Let's do it. All right. So, cryptocurrency was all the rage this last year as everyone and their cab driver made a mad dash toward the latest digital gold rush. Joining us to present the Luffy for the category of cryptocurrency most likely to lose you everything in 2018 is Aaron Bush. Yay. Yay. All right. Well, I'll just kick it off and say that not everything about this movement is terrible, but most things that are out there are absolutely terrible. So I think it, I think it's worth worth maybe noting some of the worst of the worst. Um, so you could take a crypto dartboard, throw a dart at it, and have a really good chance of going broke. But if we were to look at 2018 at some of the cryptocurrencies that'll give you the highest chance of going broke, I have a few few nominations I'd like to to read out. Please, yes. So. There's the Mao Zedong token. Uh, there's Ponzi coin, which <laughs> just is a literal Ponzi scheme let's and, be honest, and owns up we? to it. There's Jesus coin, if you're into salvation through the blockchain. Um, there is the useless Ethereum token, which is a useless Ethereum token. But I think the one that I want to highlight as the winner today is Potcoin. 
And Potcoin, yeah, woo, yeah, yeah. Congrats, okay. Potcoin. Yeah. Uh, so they were created in 2014 um, with the goal of becoming the digital bank for the marijuana industry. Um, so, so maybe there's a slight use case in that, in yeah, the sense that, can that they can't use banks. Um, and <laughs> you were very enthusiastic. You know, it's hard to be a local pot dealer and like having a place to put your money. Like banks aren't just going to want to deal with you. Uh huh. So, so actually earlier, I'm in, on board. So, Where should I take my money? So as of three months ago, they hit a hundred million dollars and in their market cap or network value. Um, they've fallen. Pretty substantially from there, but I think they can fall even more substantially. So, so I think there are a few key problems here. For one, no one uses it. That, that's that's kind of a kind of a problem. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Allison's Allison's thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one user, Lonely. one person uses it. Um, strike two. If you look at their their GitHub, no one has touched this code in years. So, not only does no one use it, I don't think there's any plans for anyone using it. And then strike three, I would say, is maybe there's a little bit of capital allocation issues going on here. This past summer, they had the grand idea of sponsoring Dennis Rodman's trip back to North Korea, <laughs> wearing a Popcoin.com t-shirt um, for the purposes of no one really knows. But uh, yeah, so that happened. I, I just have a hunch. I just have a feeling that as great as Dennis Rodman is for the short term, the the price skyrocketed and everything. I don't I don't know how great of a long term strategy that is. So I I suspect that that Potcoin will have a rough time. All right, so there you go, Potcoin, the winner of the first Luffy today. Congratulations. The the idea for doing something about cryptocurrency came from a couple of listeners, Alexander and John. Except they wanted to know the best cryptocurrency. <laughs> so sorry, start your own awards show. All right. The next category, podcasts. We assume you love them since you're listening to this one right now. But what should you listen to after you're done with Motley Fool Money, Market Foolery, Industry Focus, Rule Breaker Investing, and Motley Fool Answers? Well, joining us to award the Luffy for Best Investing Podcast, non-fool related, is Matt Argersinger. Yay! Thanks, Allison. All right. Let me see. let me read off the nominees. So the nominees for the best non-full podcast, and why would you listen anywhere else? I don't know. How do you have enough hours in the day? I don't know. Right. Well, we've got Invest Like the Best, Odd Lots, Planet Money, Freakonomics, and How I Built This, which is interesting. Yeah, um, all the nominees came to us from the Motley Fool Analyst pool. Yeah. I don't know. Or what do you call you guys? Group. We're a pool. Group. Sure. A pool. sure. Okay. Uh, so this year's Luffy Award winner... Uh, is going to invest like the best. Yeah. Uh, it's Patrick O'Shaughnessy's roughly weekly podcast that he does. Um, you can read more about it if you go to InvestorFieldGuide.com. Uh, Patrick O'Shaughnessy is the CEO of O'Shaughnessy Asset Management. He uh, he's been an investor for roughly ten or eleven years. Uh, what I like about the podcast in particular is, you know, with investing. We can we tend to think of it as okay, it's a bunch of guys reading 10Ks, conference calls, doing models in a spreadsheet, and buying stocks. Well, there's just a lot more to it. There's uh, investor psychology. There's emotional fortitude. There's looking at the future, being flexible. It's it's a lot of mind games with yourself. And I think uh, Patrick, in particular, with his podcast, takes a very investor psychology approach to it. Uh, he interviews a lot of interesting people, ranging from value investors to people who do cryptocurrency investing, or entrepreneurs, or venture capitalists. And so you get a really broad range. 
there was a podcast recently where a, a, a guy who works in private equity came on the show, and it was a great interview, but they spent about 15, minute, 15 minutes of it debunking uh, Porter's Five Forces, which uh, if you're investing in business nerd, you know what the Porter's Five Forces and you just... It's it's gold. It's podcast gold. Just go listen to it. Uh, but it's just a, a wide ranging topics, and it's made me a better investor. And I think anyone who listens to it, if you have time outside of the fool podcast, give invest like the best a listen. You also can listen to David Gardner's interview with Patrick O'Shaughnessy. That's right. You can. <laughs> so even if you don't want to stray too far from home, you can listen to uh, David Gardner and also Morgan Housel. I think uh, he didn't he interview Morgan as well. So. I think Patrick O'Shaughnessy and Morgan Household, they're almost like the same person in a, in a lot of ways and what they talk about and write about. So if you like Morgan Housel, you'll probably like Patrick O'Shaughnessy. All right, so listener Katie came up uh, with this category. And like I said, the winner was chosen by a vote uh, committee from Motley Fool Analysts. But if you listeners have any other uh, podcast recommendations, let us know and we'll share sure. them we'll with uh, the world. Support for Motley Fool Answers comes from TurboTax Live. New from TurboTax, now you can get a personal review of your tax return with a CPA or EA right on your screen. Quickly connect to a tax expert via one-way video as often as you need for answers and advice on your taxes. You can even have an expert review your return before you file. Make any necessary changes and it is all backed with a 100% accuracy guarantee. File with complete confidence. Connect with a TurboTax Live expert today at TurboTax.com slash fool. Now it's time to pause and take a somber look back at the people and things that came to an end in 2017. It's our In Memoriam segment. Martin Shkreli. You'll remember him for his brave portrayal of the OG pharma bro who profited off of increasing the price of an anti-malarial drug from $13.50 a pill to $750, and then spent the money on things like a $2 million Wu-Tang Clan album. I know we all remember him fondly. He was sentenced to seven years in prison for securities fraud related to two hedge funds he ran with, and uh, along with his former drug company, Retrofin. Uh, he also has to forfeit $7.4 million and the Wu Tang Clan album. He can't keep that, huh? That's I. That's I think it, maybe he can. Maybe he can financially fin- figure out a way to do it. But in most of the articles, they were like, "And he has to give up the album." Well, he needs, that needs to be shared with the world. I, I mean, mean, come on, <laughs> really? All right. Chipotle Queso 1.0. You'll remember Queso 1.0 is Chipotle's brave portrayal of melted cheese. Three months after the failed launch of Queso at Chipotle, the company secretly changed the recipe. Initially described as a crime against cheese, the new version is less grainy. However, the New Yorker still described it as if someone added Kraft mac and cheese powder to milk and didn't let it dissolve. Uh So, yeah. Have any of you guys actually tried Chipotle's Queso? I have. And? Uh, Better or worse than popcorn. I'd give it a solid (laughs) 3.7 out of 10. Out of 10? Out of 10. I thought it was five. I was like, that's pretty good. Uh, Are you guys surprised at how Chipotle hasn't really bounced back the way people expected it to? Or do you think it's still coming? I think restaurants can be fixed, so it's coming. The question is just a matter of how long will it take. I think they probably moved in the right direction getting a new CEO and everything, but it takes time. All right, next up. You'll remember the black turtleneck from its ubiquitous brave portrayal in many Steve Jobs features. Black turtleneck had a comeback recently thanks to Elizabeth Holmes of Theranos, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, only to be laid to rest once Holmes's massive fraud was uncovered. The downfall prompted the New York Times to write, 
will black turtlenecks ever be looked at in quite the same way again? <laughs> so sad. I'm kind of shocked that to date she's gotten off easier than Shakrelli. Yeah. I mean, he didn't give up the Wu-Tang album. I mean, she's not even going Well, he's to going to jail for like seven yeah, years. Well, I know that. That's bad. But I mean, she didn't have to give up an album. <laughs> and I think at the end of the day, like, all of those investors who need defrauded actually got their money back. Whereas yeah. she cost people billions. I, didn't, I even think some of, them, some of them made a ton of money, actually. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. ones who went into the retrofit yeah. after the hedge fund. So I mean, yeah. he defrauded them, but then sort of got lucky and made yeah. up for it. I mean... <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, and she's still she's still walking around and still pitching. Uh, I think that maybe their criminal charges come. Maybe they're just it'll come after. Yeah, but. yeah. Ooh. All right. Well, be patient. We'll circle back on that. All right. You'll remember Dr. G. Raff for his brave portrayal of a giraffe who encouraged children to not grow up by getting their kids to buy them toys. He was born in the 1950s as part of a marketing campaign for Children's Bargain Town in Washington, D.C. It wasn't until the company changed its name to Toys R Us that Dr. G. Raff changed his name to Jeffrey the Giraffe. He'll live on forever in Bro's heart. No, he will. I'm so sad about Toys R Us going out of business. Was Toys R Us the same like mecca for you guys as it was for me growing up? Like the idea of going to Toys R Us was just like. (gasps) Oh, when I was yeah, when I was a kid, that was I mean that was like the once every few months was like the greatest day ever. Yeah, just sad. Now you're just gonna go to Amazon Prime. I guess. I guess. (laughs) Like really, what will kids do? Like the toy section of Walmart. It's just not the same thing. No. And finally, let's take a moment to remember everything that millennials killed, which, according to headlines, includes lunch, beer, Applebee's cereal, motorcycles, fabric softener, diamonds, football, straws, doorbells, bars of soap, and so much more. Bars of soap. They kill bars of soap. Because they like loofahs. And scrubbies. Uh, really? Yeah, I think so. I don't know. You guys are more millennial than me. I, I take still, that back. Yeah. <laughs> What's with and fabric softener? What's the alternative? Is they it like it scratchy? Oh. Okay. I think the headline was they just don't know what fab- fabric softener does. Which, which one, of those, one of those complicated naming conventions. Uh, why did they do that? Support for Motley Fool Answers comes from Active Campaign. If you have a growing business and you want to close more sales, then you need Active Campaign. Their solution goes beyond marketing automation, getting the right type of message to the right person at the right time. Stop sending blast emails. With their smart tools, you can dynamically show different content in your messages depending on your contacts' info, interactions, social data, and interests. Identify, nurture, convert, and retain more customers with ActiveCampaign. For a free 14-day trial, go to activecampaign.com/fool. Also, for our Fool podcast listeners, they're offering the second month free with sign-up. That's activecampaign.com/fool. Get back to awarding some Luffy's, shall we? Every year, the Motley Fool makes, I don't know, hundreds of stock recommendations, that mil- thousands, millions. I have a feeling Tim Hansen knows exactly how, roughly how. <laughs> I know, I've even lost track. Yeah. <laughs> we, we make a lot of stock recommendations for our members around the globe. Some work out, some maybe don't, but some really, really work out. So joining us to award the Luffy for Foolish Stock of the Year is Tim Hansen. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, happy to be here to do this. So this is a purely quantitative award. Just added up some numbers. Um, the nominees uh, are, are all well-known foolish stocks: Apple, Amazon, and Netflix. And what we did is we looked at the database where we keep all of our analyst opinions, and uh, we just tried to add up which stock contributed the most 
to the total return of that database over the past year. So in order for it to contribute, you had to have a lot of people who had a rating on it, a lot of people who had big ratings on it, and then obviously the stock had to go up quite a bit. And what's impressive about this is not who the winner is, but by how much the winner won. So the winner was Amazon, which added 52% of performance return to our database over the past year. Second place, Netflix, 34%, and in a distant third, Apple, 11%. Wow! It's just, mm. a, it's just a massive, uh, widely owned winner, and, and congratulations to everybody who owns it. Yeah, right, everyone. Hey, I'm loving it. Let's yeah, let's all applaud ourselves. Do we all own Amazon in this room? Yeah, I do. Uh, I own shares in The Motley Fool, which owns Amazon. So, (laughs) directly. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) But that's a good way to look on the bright side there, Paul. There you go. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you very much. All right. Our next category was chosen by you, the listeners. We asked for your nominees for Best Episode of Motley Fool Answers. And uh, the idea came actually from John from Queens. So, here to award. The Luffy in Best Episode of the Year, comma, series is Robert Brokamp. Here we go. So the first nominee is Judge Bro, Court is in Session, featuring Robert Brokamp and a genteel Southern lawyer, as well as a few other voices. Number two, Invest Like a Fool series, featuring the industry focus folks. Number three, When to Sell a Stock series, featuring Jason Moser. And number four, Morgan Housel joining us for the History of Market Crashes series. And the winner, with 57% of the vote, Morgan Housel in our series on the History of Market Crashes. Ended up winning. I beat out Judge Bro that had 22% of the vote. Yes, yes. So even though uh, the Judge Bro episode was quite divisive among our listeners. I don't expect that you guys heard it. It was borderline offensive to people from different parts of our nation, but it's like you don't need to know why. It's fine. Uh, so, it, like, Judge Bro is giving Morgan Housel a run for its money there for a while, but in the end, Morgan Housel and his series on history market crashes did end up winning, uh, which is funny because we didn't get much uh, feedback on the episodes at the time. No, we weren't quite sure how well they went over. Yeah, we but, had no idea, but yeah. apparently you guys liked They're it. They're timeless. So. If you haven't heard them, go back and give them a listen They're to They're quite good. All right. What was the best market crash? Well, we started with the Great Depressions, and then we moved up from there. That was (laughs) (laughs) it. Was among it was perhaps the greatest. Good place to start. (laughs) You can go back to the tulips or anything. So basically, twenty. 20th century on. It was pretty much 20th okay. century. A modern yeah. history. A brief modern history. A brief market. modern yeah. history of market. You know, it was like the U.S. It was very U.S. centric and all that. Just so. like Morgan. Yeah. yeah. So, no. like Morgan. Nikkei had a kind of a crash. There, too. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> Which, and it's still down I like, know. what, 70% from yeah. its 1989 Inflation peak? Adjusted, it's like the worst ever. But that's, yes. Okay, cool. That's true. So joining us for our next series on market hey. crashes <laughs> is going to be Matt Global crises. Right? Global. Asian contagion. Yes. Yeah, yeah. There are lots of ways to go. Play yeah, West Indies. What was the, what was the ship one? I don't know. The you South Sea. The South Sea bubble. I'm not joking. I will rope you in <laughs> to the no, series. Someone, someone else knows nope, a lot more about nope, those. No, 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 nope. no. All right. Top 10 obscure market crashes. <laughs> 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 and now we're going to bring everyone back on stage to award the Luffy for best CEO you maybe have never heard of. And each one of our guest presenters has a CEO that they would like to put up for nomination. And then I don't know how we're going to, I guess we'll rock, paper, and scissors. Why don't you, well, why don't we, we'll pitch it, you guys, you and Rob. Pick. All right, let's do it. All right. All right. See, the, again, the whole episode is just like... I like a, that methodology. It's a plane. Kidding. We're building the plane while we're flying <laughs> it here. So, 
All right, Matt, would you like to go first? Uh, sure, sure. My nominee, uh, and so this is the most unheralded CEO, great CEO that we don't, no one knows about, right? Yeah. Okay. Right. So my CEO is Richard Liu. He is the CEO of JD.com, which is, if you don't know, it's the second largest e-commerce company in China, and. A lot of people kind of don't pay attention to JD because Alibaba is the big juggernaut of China and everyone thinks they're going to just gobble up the world and they kind of are. But uh, JD has actually built a very, a really nice uh, retail business. They're actually the number one retailer in China, direct to consumer. They've also, uh, they've also built this distribution system that's very much like Amazon. It spans all of China. They can get goods to you within two days pretty much everywhere, and, and including same day in big cities. Uh, and this is a guy who he, Essentially, ran a small electronics shop in the in the early two thousands. Transitioned it online, and then built this e commerce powerhouse that now does about fifty billion in revenue a year. Uh, and so, he's my nominee. He owns seventeen percent of the stock, and uh, he's much less exciting than Jack Ma, who's now starring in kung fu movies. I've heard, but uh, but he's a guy you can trust, and I, I would certainly nominate him as a CEO of my CEO of the year for two thousand seventeen. All right, Tim. Uh, so, my nominee is Kent Taylor, who's the chief executive officer of Texas Roadhouse, which, for uh, people who haven't been there, is a chain of sort of um, fast, casual, sit down, steak, steakhouse type restaurant um, known for its um, uh, cocktails and country singing. Uh, the steak's supposedly pretty good, too. Um, what, what impresses me about uh, Taylor is the fact that it's been a pretty rough go for the restaurant business over the past five to ten years. Um, you know, you've seen high profile, high flyers come down to earth like Chipotle and, and uh, you know, people struggling with, um, you know, declining mall traffic and more people getting delivery at home and so on and so forth. And yet, uh, Texas Roadhouse just finished its eighth consecutive year of same store sales growth. And they're really highly rated on Glassdoor as one of the best places to work and definitely one of the best restaurants uh, to work at. And so I think that um, combination of outstanding performance in a tough industry. Um, and it's been a great stock for investors as well, is what uh, kind of sets Taylor apart as a, as a lesser known but really great CEO. All right. Aaron? My nomination is for Marcos Galprin, who is the CEO of Mercado Libre, which is essentially the Amazon, eBay of Latin America. Um, so maybe a little bit of competition over there with, mm. with JD. But I think, I think um, what he's done is incredibly impressive because um, since they they were founded in 1999 and they went public, I think in 2007. Since then, the market has about doubled, but they're up about 10x. Um, and that's given and given the fact that how volatile um, like Venezuela has been, Brazil has been, all of the different nations down Latin America have been off and on over the past decade. For them to create this kind of performance and dominate um, e-commerce Latin America, I think is incredibly impressive, and it's largely because of him. Wow, <sighs> it's tough. That's a tough one. I'd have to say, I mean, if we're going, if if the category is unsung CEO or CEO people haven't heard of, I have to go with is it Richard Liu? Richard Liu. Richard yeah. Liu. Ooh. Yeah, because right. I, I had heard, I, I was more familiar with the other companies, the other two, but that's I was not as familiar with Richard Liu. Uh, yeah, I'll, ba- I'll I'll back that. That's fine. I'm good with that. Also, I mean, if you say anything like the anything of China, I'm gonna be like, tell me more. <laughs> That's usually a cop out, you know, for for weaker analysis. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, <laughs> but yeah. I appreciate that. It is kind of the Amazon of China. I'll take it. JD.com. All right. So the winner of the last movie, as we live across the line, is Richard Liu, founder and CEO of JD.com. Fun fact about the name. Oh, yes. I should have mentioned this in the pitch, but he apparently he named his company JD, and I, I don't know how, how to pronounce it, but it's it's named after his high school girlfriend, who dumped him. 
So wow. they're not together, but apparently he decided to name his company after her anyway. So. Oh, so when you wrote me this note, I thought he named it JD for just dumped. But then I was like, but this isn't Chinese, so that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> no, it's her, it's, her, it's her name, but I, you know, I, I, I don't know what it is. I can't, I can't get it out to my head, but yes. I was it's very not just confused dumped. for a little bit. But now we're good. All right. So to close the show... We have a Lifetime Achievement Award to give out. And we do. That is the honor of Bro. It is. So, in considering who should win this award, I considered who devoted their whole lifetime serving investors and also whose influence would go on for years after this person passed away. So, for me, the easier answer to this is Jack Bogle, the founder of Vanguard Group and the father of the index fund. So early on, Bogle recognized the difficulty that the average mutual fund would have in beating the market. He wrote his college thesis about how most mutual funds actually don't beat the market. Graduates, joins a company called Wellington, becomes uh, basically its CEO, but gets fired in 1974 because of a, an ill-advised merger. And he said it was embarrassing and it was I was immature to make that decision, but if I weren't fired, I wouldn't have gone on to found Vanguard, which he did in 1975 with 11 actively managed funds. So it started off without an index fund, but the index fund came in 1976. They were hoping to raise $150 million. They only raised $11 million. The folks who were helping him launch it wanted to close the fund, but he said, nope, let's stick with it. Years later, here we are. So right now, Vanguard manages $4.5 trillion. Mm. Second in the world behind BlackRock. Uh, about 30% of global assets are indexed nowadays. Um, but the other thing I like about Jack Bogle in terms of a lifetime of achievement is that he's remained very active throughout his life. I found this article, uh, interview with him from 2007, and basically someone said, they asked him, what should someone do if they're going to retire in 20 years? And his reply, and this is back when he was 78, he said, people are retiring later in life, I'm 13 years past 65, and I still have plenty of energy to work every day. I got up at 5.30 this morning in New York and was ready for an 8.30 meeting in Philadelphia. If I can do it, I don't see why everyone else can't either. Now he's 88, he has a little more trouble traveling, but that didn't prevent him from being at the, having a front row seat at last year's Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting. So I will conclude this little bit about Bogle with actually something that Warren Buffett wrote about Bogle in the 2016 annual letter. Buffett wrote, if a statue is ever erected to honor the person who has done the most for American investors, the hands-down choice should be Jack Bogle. For decades, Jack has urged investors to invest in ultra-low-cost index funds. In his early years, Jack was frequently mocked by the investment management industry. Today, however, he has the satisfaction of knowing that he helped millions of investors realize far better returns on their savings than they otherwise would have earned. He is a hero to them and to me, and I would say to many fools as well. So. Congratulations, Jack Bogle, on winning our yet-to-be-coveted inaugural Lifetime Achievement Award. Named after swingers. <laughs> Named after swingers. <laughs> Geriatric swingers, which I think is perfect for that. the villages. Maybe he's going down there. That's right. He's got tons of energy, it sounds like. So. <laughs> 
right. Good night, everybody. That's the show. I want to thank our special guests once again, Aaron Bush, Matt Argersinger, and Tim Hansen for joining us. Thanks, you guys. I thank really you. do appreciate it. I also want to thank all of our listeners for your feedback on the categories, the nominees, and the winners. Uh, many of you emailed us, like Katie John, Sean, Jose, Alex, Jason, and many more of you will remain nameless, but you voted in my slapdash Google polls that I kept posting on our Facebook group all the time. So... Thank you, everyone, for your feedback to help make this Luffy Awards yet another barely on the tracks episode, but we, we kept it. We kept it rolling down. The show is edited award-winningly by Rick Engdahl. Our email is answers at fool.com. For Robert Brokamp, I'm Allison Southwick. Stay foolish, everybody. Stay foolish.